Hello and welcome to the PC Gamer Podcast. Uh, I'm your host this week, Phil Savage, and I'm joined by... Tom Senior. It's uh, just the two of us this week, plus uh, a meeting room full of people uh, that's probably bleeding through because of how loud it is. There's no way they can't Um, hear this. Yeah, Sam's off this week and Andy is too ill to speak to people, Mm. uh, apparently. So... um, We've uh, quickly played a couple of this week's uh, new releases in a desperate hope to have things to talk about. So, Absolutely. Uh, do you want to kick us off, Tom, uh, with it's What Remains of Edith Finch? What Remains of Edith Finch. That's quite um, the name. Yes. Uh, and it's about uh, a woman called Edith mm-hmm. who uh, returns to the house of her childhood to rediscover some family truths, almost as though she had gone home which is very much uh, the genre oh, that this game shit. belongs to. Uh, so God Hope, of course, if you don't know, is uh, is a game about walking around and opening drawers and reading your family's personal shit uh, mm. and, and, until you know kind of, you know, all that you've, you've unpacked all of the family baggage and gained a new understanding for, of, of yourself and your family's predicaments. Um, and the yeah. 90s riot girl movement. Even more importantly, that as well. <laughs> uh, so um, Edith Finch picks up uh, this idea... But uh, the house is really interesting Mm. and uh, it's kind of a warren of secret passages and just beautifully rendered, like painted up children's bedrooms. And you're basically just sifting through your family's history in the form of uh, little kind of books and notes that you find in these rooms that you don't simply read. Uh, you actually go into them and they become little kind of interactive skits of, of, of the of the oh, own. Okay. So it's uh, it's really ta- taking the gone home idea and giving it an extra kind of la- layer of interactivity. Yeah, because I, I passed by your screen and you seem to be inside a comic book. Yeah, that's just one of the many surprises that awaits. So the, the game can just change its visual tone completely as you go into one of these diaries. Huh. Uh, and it's really this that elevates it for me and makes it more than simply a clone. It's, it's, it feels like it's actually moving... The, I'd call the interactive fiction genre on on um, mm. with uh, you know be able to actually use uh, video games ability to change space and time around you in a way that you know uh, films struggle to do. At the it, it's basically a kind of magical realism, which is always a literary thing, but it's actually realised in a video game form, which is really clever mm. and really interesting. Even though the interactions themselves are very very basic, you're only moving around. You're kind of uh, pressing right trigger. It recommends using control pad. Uh, you're pressing right trigger to grab things and then kind of moving the sticks up and down to lift things and you know open doors and that kind of stuff. So it's nothing like taxing or difficult, but it gives you just enough of a kind of feeling of grip on the world as though you are actually interacting with things and you know uh, opening up puzzle boxes. And, yeah, almost like that compilation of mini game sort of style, but with a narrative framework around yeah, it. Yeah, and a really strong one as well. And it's it's got a really nice, it's a really nice tone. Um, between being somewhat sentimental but also quite dark and mm. uh, almost like it's happy to like it's kind of a horror story as well it's about like, all these generations of your family that you're kind of traveling through uh, and the they're kind of uh, well I won't reveal what happens to them of course but you're essentially traveling through your family tree right. and the game map uh, isn't a map a conventional map is is just literally a, a drawing of a tree with all your family's names on it uh, going back a couple of generations mm. and it's, it's these stories in 20 stories that you're uncovering as you're as you're moving through the house and uh, yeah, I really like it. I, was, I wasn't oh. expecting to like it at all because um, I've grown bored of that type of game, to be honest. It was novel when Gone Home came out. Yes. And uh, I really liked Dear Esther. Uh, 
but it does feel like I was playing the same game over and over again uh, when I did Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. It's like, oh, it's another kind of sentimental yeah. tweed walk around slowly game. There are only so many Radio 4 family drama <laughs> plots that you can really... <laughs> yeah, e- even I, I have a huge appetite for that sort of thing. And even even I was yeah, running up against some boredom there. Uh, so, But it feels like um, Edith Finch really does bring something new to it. And it looks fantastic. And I love the idea that all these modern game engines and all these uh, you know game artists and all the kind of power of modern technology has been used to render very mundane environments yeah. rather than just kind of like mountain sky fortresses or anything like that. Actually kind of rendering a house full of normal crap is actually really fun to explore and there's a kind of novelty to seeing a really nicely modelled sink or something mm. or a lovely, a really nicely modelled bedroom. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something quite novel about it, I think. It's something that people are like developers seem to be getting a real good handle on like what that enables. I mean... PT, which never came to PC, but it was a really good example of just like the amount of fidelity you can get into basically two corridors. Yeah, sure. And you, and that's kind of the, the learnings from this sort of game you see tra- uh, like translating into stuff like Resident Evil 7, where pe- mm. developers are getting so, so good at doing these domestic environments that actually like horror games are better because they feel even grimier and, you know, the developers uh, are mastering you know, how light bounces through corridors and how wallpaper and different surfaces reflect light and takes upon light's colour and that kind of th- thing. So it's all uh, it's all just kind of a group industry uh, exercise in rendering every everyday objects yeah. that, that does feed back in a positive way to other genres, not just the kind of walk-around-a-house genre. Uh, but it's good. I was, I'm impressed and I was happy. And uh, it doesn't seem to be hugely long. Um, I played it over lunch and I feel as I'm probably about like a third of the way through it. Right. Uh, Yep, if you like that sort of thing, I would recommend it. Yeah, that sounds... Uh, but the name, almost the name put me off because <laughs> yeah. it sounds quite twee mm. in a sort of vanishing of Ethan Carter kind of... Well, this is an overlong and slightly mysterious name. <laughs> yep. And, and that implies something to me already, yeah, just the, based on the few of those types of games that exist. The first ten minutes certainly reinforced that idea as well. Really? Okay. Yeah, so it's just, I thought, oh, it's going to be a whole kind of, I'm going to be expected to care about this family. But um, it quickly goes quite, you know, a little bit dark, and ha- there's a sinister undertone to all of it, which is uh, definitely makes it, keeps it interesting. Mm. Mm. What have you been at? What was your well, experimental? Well, so we go from uh, somebody doing a Gone Home style thing to a developer doing a Diresta type thing, mm. which uh, is uh, Scanner Somber, which is the new, the sixth game from Introversion Studios. Mm. Um, I've always liked as a developer. They uh, have made some very kind of interesting systems-heavy style games, like uh, Uplink, I think, is a really good version of like taking hacking systems and creating something really sort of atmospheric but quite quite enjoyable to manipulate as well mm. uh, systems and Darwinia is like a game that I bounced off of quite a bit but a lot of people do seem to like it uh yeah it's very much its own genre that game like mm. it, is, it sort of looks like an RTS but also plays like a you know action event it's, it's a weird uh, kind of mashup of genres um Scanner Somber is uh, kind of more traditional in that it is a game about walking about a cave and story happens around you. Huh. Sort of very, very uh, light touch, uh, mysterious story uh, that you, you sort of piece together, kind of. Um, it's it, like its main trick is its visual style, which uh, is based around the idea of a lidar, um, which I'm sure sounds for something complicated about lights. <laughs> I, I thought I thought of the Liger, so I was thinking like, that's a combination of a lion and a radar. Yeah, it's, it's half lion, half radar. <laughs> so, uh, what, what actually is it? What, what is a lidar? Um, 
uh, it's in this. It's a device uh, that you point at objects, and it leaves a uh, light on where what it, something it bounces off. Mm. Um, this is represented like you actually. You, you get out of a tent in a cave in pitch blackness. You can sort of see your tent and nothing else and, like, a thing over in the distance. And it's basically a VR headset that you put on and a kind of touch controller-style thing that you use to shoot uh, these lights at the, the walls and stuff. And it leaves an impression that you can see based on... Mm. So, yeah, it kind of it's not a VR game as far as I know, but it does take place in VR in a cave. Okay, and it's pitch black <laughs> unless you're shooting... At walls. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. As as you shoot at a surface, the the light sort of is there and stays there, and you use basically use it to paint the dimensions around you, which you can use to explore, you know, the cave and work through. Like the first ten twenty minutes, are probably uh, sort of very linear, but it does sort of give you an idea about it. Probably the best, you know, it. The thing that makes it work is that it's quite good about um, your depth and distance from the light source like anything that is close to you is red and it gets uh, blue as like oh, uh, the distance cool. increases mm. so you do get a really good sort of sense of 3D space and the depth of the place despite everything being this kind of very um, like despite there being no textures in the game essentially mm. so yeah it looks like a kind of uh, a cave system rendered in pinpricks of light yeah like it's scattered uh, but obviously representing with colour uh, the depth and kind of 3D space mm. Which is is that a novel way to explore? What does it kind of allow you to do that you know normal just looking at things wouldn't? Well, I, I mean that's that's something that later that sort of starts to feed back into kind of exploration puzzles where you do have to pick your way through like quite a sprawling large cave system. Mm. Um, for a while, it is hard to kind of recognise what the point is beyond this is a cool visual trick. Um, I mean, it was developed as a prototype uh, alongside like a bomb disposal game. Uh, both were showed at Rezd a couple of years ago, mm. and I think there was enough sort of feedback saying, "Oh, this is cool," that it became something fuller. And I think the prototype part of it still kind of shows through, which is that sometimes it does feel a bit like a system in want of like a reason to exist. Um, but they did it, like eventually you do start to pick up a couple of. Um, additional modules for your for your scanner, uh, and one of them uh, it's like you hit a key and it basically does um, automatically does a huge spread of lights that saves you from individually painting every wall and surface. Mm. That is a very cool visual effect and allows them to increase the space of the caves or whatever. There's, so there's one section. Uh, water is generally bad for you um partially because you can't paint in water so you don't actually know where water is a lot of the time it sort of just dissipates because it's Mm -hmm. a liquid surface the the lights can't attach to it um but also through a series of reasons partially being that you're wearing technology on your head you just don't want to be in water for long Mm. um and they use that for one of the sort of trickier navigation puzzles uh which is like you've really got to study the environment and figure out ways to go and sometimes that works other times that feels a little bit tedious like just trying to you look at you're essentially it's not so much a puzzle as you're looking for the one correct path Mm. um but it is it's nice and atmospheric um it's quite short 
uh, about 90 minutes. Like, I started playing it over lunch and I basically completed it. And I was like, oh, okay, well, let's wrap that up. And there are some interesting and very creepy things that start to happen. Um, I just, I'm not sure it pays off or in a particularly satisfying way. The plot threads kind of take a a right turn. There's a point where I thought, oh, this is basically the ending. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a really nice sequence. And then it kept going and it introduced this extra mechanic that, again, was interesting but didn't really seem to add anything mechanically. Right, It was more just a thematic uh, extra and the plot kind of takes a bit of a turn where it's, it becomes something quite different in tone. Um, mm. And for a 90-minute experience, that's quite jarring to have that kind of... It makes something that feel, doesn't feel entirely cohesive. Like, I'm sure there is, like, a an obvious through line, but the story's told abstractly enough that you do think, hmm, okay, this is... <laughs> I'm not sure it all holds together, which for... You know something that is ninety minutes long. You'd expect it to be a bit more, a bit more kind of uh, focused. How much is it? Nine pounds. Nine pounds. Ninety minutes. It's it's all right. Yeah. 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 You know. So, uh, so yeah, it's not like a full price game or anything. Which is... Yeah. Um. Like it would have been nice, especially you know you think from a studio from like Introversion, then they, they might have had like more systemic depth to it mm. like they'd have found a way to incorporate this sort of visual style into a more interesting mechanic but as an atmospheric thing it is just quite nice uh, it's quite interesting to explore mm. um there's a few like horror touches to it a few creepy things that happen that are cool mm. um nice. and feel like they really pay off that well but as you know an interesting 90 minutes of content it's good to uh it's good to walk around in games sometimes isn't it yeah it's been a week of walking that's very much just run around we might as well enjoy it now before dawn of war happens (laughs) pray and all the all the guns and madness uh speaking of guns and madness oh yeah a new call of duty it's been properly formally announced uh via emojis uh, really? The, the, the initial tweet for the live stream uh, was globe emoji, explosion emoji, two. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, truly communicating with the modern audience there, mm. uh, which is interesting because actually going backwards to the series roots. Uh, yes, theoretically at least, with a World War II setting. Call of Duty WW2. Just a slightly clunky name. Mm. It's easier to say World War II than WW2. Is it better than Battlefield 1? Hmm. That yes, yes, probably. Yes, I would agree. It's probably better, <laughs> more descriptive. It's, it's interesting watching them do what Battlefield did almost exactly, but not obviously going back to World War Two rather than World War One. But it feels derivative already, even though it's a different war. I guess that's the problem. Is it feels derivative because Battlefield did it, but also a little extra derivative because we the, like the series started in World War Two. Mm. It's like we, they, they are sort of just going back and and uh, I don't know if you've seen the announcement trailers and a lot of what's come out, but. It's very much hitting upon those uh, Band of Brothers style, a mm. uh, bunch of Americans go and b- grow as people and have harrowing times in a sad war. Mm. Um, and I think I think I had more enthusiasm for it theoretically before it was announced than I do now that I've seen it. Yeah, that's interesting as a thing. Mm. Um, I guess the, like the fatigue, the fatigue of like the modern warfare setting. I, I guess 
Battlefield 1 helped with this as, a bit as well, just because it was like, okay, they are leaving Modern Warfare behind. They are going back to World War One, which is kind of interesting in its own right. Mm. Um, and they made a really good shooter with some completely ridiculous but quite entertaining side stories um, that didn't feel the need to, like... Be one single story it could just tell like specific short here's a bunch of emotions within you know here's, a 90 minute experience here are all the aeroplane emotions mm. here are all the tank emotions yes. in a separate story <laughs> uh, we can be sad in tanks or we can be kind of happy in airplanes <laughs> yeah the, the airplanes uh, one was my favourite one that was, yeah, one it was that, interesting yeah. because it was quite um, nuts yeah, <laughs> it was quite nuts. And, uh, it, is, it is like, a, I think there is an unreliable narrator in that story as yes. well, which lets them do the kind of flying ace crazy story where, you know, you're, you're fighting through a flaming blimp as it's falling out of the sky. Yeah, you can have the crazy moments and then you can have the sort of uh, personal revelations and heroism and sacrifice and then mm. you can imply at the end that maybe not all of it was <laughs> what what you thought. Yeah, that's silly. <laughs> I think the, like... Uh, I'm interested in them going back to World War Two, and I think World War Two is a great setting for shooters because the guns are uh, really fun to fire, and the range of engagements is just a really good fit for a shooter. And you know, I've had some really mm. good times playing um, like tripwire games set in just a, a, a couple of blocks, and people just having really, really tense shootouts. Like I think as a shooter setting, it's it's, it's brilliant. But I do worry that um, I haven't seen anything that suggests that it isn't just going to be another corridor Call of Duty. Yeah, uh, this is it. Um... Call of Duty's problems are deeper than that they're setting. Yeah, sure. And uh, yeah, like can this, it's weird that we keep saying, "Oh, they're going back," where but it's Sledgehammer <laughs> making it. Yes. Who, uh, I guess Call of Duty feels so homogenous that you do forget that there, you know, individual developers work on each different one. And mm. I guess Sledgehammer haven't done their World War Two one yet, so Maybe their take on it. Their <laughs> their their skewed take but, on World yeah. War Two. I mean, I, I quite um, I enjoyed the last Call of Duty more than most of the ones I've played so far. Which uh, the one in space where yeah. you got lots of you know space fights and stuff like that, um, because it could try to shake up the the classic Call of Duty set piece where you go into a square and then loads of enemies run their preset routes to mm. preset bits of cover, and then a guy says push forward to that bit, and it goes follow, and you follow a guy up, and all of the all of the, these just like. The stuff that Call of Duty does over and over and over and over again um, that just feels so stale now. It feels like shooters have just gotten better in the last few years, particularly with stuff like Doom, which obviously is trying mm. to realise a very different fantasy, or even stuff like Wolfenstein. Um, like their mission design is just much better. Their kind of the pacing, the acting, the kind of whole experience of it is just more more exciting and you know it's full of humour as well as the kind of melodramatic, heart wringing stuff. And I wonder if Call of Duty can really keep up with that. Yeah, again, even Battlefield, like it, its campaign was interesting because a lot of it did take place on multiplayer maps, but mm. that gave them a kind of openness that is often missing from like uh, these styles of war shooter, the, the serious war shooter. Um, Hmm, it'd be interesting. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I, it's hard to judge based on them going, here's some World War Two feelings that you can have, because, uh, I mean, I don't know how that's going to translate into a Call of Duty game yet. What I do know is that they've shown the bit where there's a beach landing mm. and the bit where a slightly more grizzled veteran soldier looks at you and goes, you're not in Texas anymore, farm <laughs> boy. Um I think your name's like Ronald Red or something. You've got quite a sort of... <laughs> Ronald Red. 
your, your nickname is Red. You're either called Reginald or Ronald or something. I don't know. Ronald, <laughs> Ronald McDonald. <laughs> Ronald boots Red McDonald. Enormous boots. Serious boots war boy. Uh, good. Well, we, we can look forward to that being probably the same as other Call of Duties. Probably. But I hope I hope for better, always. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, we've not really played anything else, but we do have a bunch of questions. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> so, once again, our readers have completely saved us from having to do our jobs. Yeah. Uh, so, this first question comes from Tom from Liverpool. Uh, with a snap UK general election looming, do you think that a fairer alternative to the current first-past-the-post electoral system, this currently sounds like it's going to a very different place to where it's okay. going to end up, so <laughs> don't worry. That's a relief. <laughs> first-past-the-post electoral system in the UK uh, would be to adopt a system where UK voters simply submit a Street Fighter character for their <laughs> preferred candidate then candidates duke it out in best of five bouts of Street Fighter using the highest submitted character for their party, all broadcast live on BBC. Also, who would win in a game of Street Fighter, Theresa May or Jeremy Corbyn? What you've done there, Tom from Liverpool, is you've liked Street Fighter enough that you've uh, decided it is good enough to define the entire course of the country. Which uh, is a bold move and... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Potentially fairer than a first well, past the post I, I, election. Well, quite. You know, system, I mean, you know? It's, it's it's pure meritocracy, isn't it? I think uh, <laughs> in terms of who is better at very you know, a very specific meritocracy, <laughs> very specific but... set of skills required. But, <laughs> um, but you know, maybe what I really look for in my leaders is just a really good twitch instinct. Mm. You know, the ability to react in microseconds and to break a combo in, to if break needed. an aerial combo uh, and stop uh, being juggled out uh, of parliament. And, and, and indeed, the <laughs> the knowledge uh, of the ability to trap someone in the corner and really you know, hit home the victory when they're on 1% health is something that would certainly be useful in international relations in this difficult time. That's true. Um, what about the beginner factor, though? You know, how you can't ever... So you'll give Jeremy Corbyn Chun-Li and he'll be <laughs> ridiculously good at it because he'll just kick over and over again. No uh, yeah. one knows how to deal with that. I don't know, Corbyn doesn't feel like a Chun-Li to me. <laughs> I think he's, he's idealistic. I think he, would, he wouldn't take the easiest character. He'd take the one that kind of most closely fits his ideals as a candidate. Oh, I don't know enough about Street Fighter. No, I don't know. So there must be, uh, if it was Soul Calibur 2, I'd be in my element. I, like, I, I, it's, we, we both don't know enough about British politics or Street Fighter, <laughs> and yet we still chose to answer the question, which is brilliant. Uh, but hopefully that at least gives you a, a clue as to what we think. I'm trying to think of any other game-based... Uh, yeah, it's a better game. Like, would, what if like someone ran a really good civilization campaign? Would, would... Yeah, I mean, there are there are literally empire building games where you can test these sort of things. There's a game called Democracy Three that exists. Yeah. It's like just yeah. just do that. Run run that for, for for a year or so. I think uh, if I was allowed to see Jeremy Corbyn and Theresa May's Crusader Kings two campaigns, <laughs> that would tell me a lot about that their personalities. Would tell a lot about them, wouldn't it? You'd, you'd really understand how they they ticked. I think after just going through one of them. How many children has each character? Character killed in Crusader Kings in order to retain the purity of their uh, lineage. It's, this is these are the, the polls that I. This is the sort of polling I want, not not the not the traditional sort. It's, yeah, you get a lot more out of a person than just a basic manifesto. There you go. Uh, the future of British politics is in safe hands. The 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 yeah. <laughs> the the fate of virtual children. The next question comes from. Estic man, uh, who simply asks, "What has been the most cringeworthy moment that you have ever had to experience in a game?" Which feels Ooh. like a wide topic. That is an of... interesting one. There are a lot of 
there, there are a lot of the obvious standards that sort of become memes, like mm. uh, the press F to pay respects. Speaking of Call of Duty, that was oh, yeah, one yeah. of the, the recent. Lots of lots of weird button prompts. Um, I have to say, like we mention it a lot on this podcast, but uh, Quiet's whole deal, her whole situation, I, I still find mm. just absurd. Partially because it is, you know, absurd Kojima bullshit, but partially because Kojima did say that once we found out, we would be ashamed <laughs> of our words and deeds. Ashamed of our words and deeds. Um, yeah, that that is probably the most cringeworthy stuff. Actually, I love that the outfit unlocks for her. Oh my god, that Uh, is actually worse. Is her covered in blood? Just (laughs) amazing. Uh, Uh, Yeah, I was keeny, but I am completely drenched in gore. (laughs) Sexy. Is is this better? I don't know. (laughs) So confused. (laughs) So again, I'm having sad feelings about war, but not in the way. (laughs) (laughs) And other feelings. Can't entirely process. Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. I, nothing quite springs to mind. Um, there's bits in like I remember playing Sleeping Dogs, and there are like massage parlors that you go into for stat boosts. Yes, and, like, you don't see anything, but it's it's still just like, oh man, come on. Uh, we've both been playing uh, Yakuza on PS4 <laughs> yeah. recently, and that has some incredibly, uh, yeah, cringy uh, mini games, which sometimes I guess you've just got to go. Uh, yep, there it is. That's still, I guess, what Japanese game design likes. Mm. Um, yeah, I guess. Those are some cringy moments. I'm sure there's plenty of others that you just kind of get used to it after a while. Mm. Uh, Dunnykin asks, question for the pod. Uh, with Tony leaving to work on a game and the success of Tom Francis, writing about games inevitably sows plenty of ideas for making your own. Uh, if you were to leave games journalism to create your own games right now, what type of game do you see yourself making? Hmm. Good question. Uh, maybe some sort of mad Tamagotchi comeback. <laughs> it's about time we brought back. Is that, is that what we're doing? Yeah. <laughs> That's what, uh, yep, Tamagotchis. They, they were terrible, but what if they weren't? That's my thesis. <laughs> what, what if Tamagotchis were good? <laughs> yeah, you could have a little kind of... Uh, they used to have like little games where they're like sandbox games where you have puppies and stuff like that. Yeah, like, Nintendo dogs and yeah, and they did used to be PC equivalents, but you could have like a desktop pet, which that used to be a thing in like nineteen ninety nine mm. or something. Uh, and they used to come for free on on uh, dodgy demo discs with uh, magazines. And uh, yeah, maybe that could that could you could you have a pet emoji that you. Amazed. Fed other emojis. And it's kind of amazing they don't have that, given that everybody has phones now, and surely yeah, like just live on there. Yeah, that you could have something live on. Yeah, okay. The, the future is clearly the the deep past of ten years ago. <laughs> exactly. We all had an irritating pets that needed to be fed. Every you should, oh, you should you should have a fe- uh, you have the irritating pets that basically live on all your devices, and you feed them your tweets and uh, <laughs> tweets that have more RTs and fabs, are more nutritious, are, are more nourishing to it, and it and it changes form based on your social media ability. It'd be amazing if more fabs are more nourishing, but more RTs are quite fattening. There, <laughs> it's become this enormous RT blob. Uh, <laughs> imagine Andy Kelly's uh, virtual. It pet. would be a monster. It would be, it'd be a, like a tyrannosaur. Maybe that's why he had to delete the deer tweet. Was it was just too <laughs> it was much? Just too yeah. fattening for too much. The, the 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 creature would become too powerful. How about you, Phil? Um, I guess. Uh, 
The thing that intrigues me, um, we were talking about it earlier, is like the, the, the balance right now between, um, I guess, size and depth of world. Mm. Uh, some people are just going mad and they're doing the Mass Effect Andromeda thing where they just make endless content, but it's actually quite... Uh, there's not a lot within it, whereas you know you have these games like, uh, I guess, Yakuza or Dragon Age 2, all the best games where it's one city and... Uh, there's just a lot going in there, and I think I'd really like to see like an immersive sim with like traditional immersive sim style systems. It's a proper stealth game, mm. and you know there's lots of ways to do various things. Set within a kind of hub area, but they push the depth like as far as you can within that. And we don't have like the, the sort of Deus Ex thing where you have like these pretty neat but quite small hubs and then they keep going out to different areas just to have a mission experience. Mm. I'd quite like to see just how far you could take an open world space as a narrative thing. An experimental narrative. Yeah, and also like a town game where yeah. you know the town is actually just full of a, uh, you know, a myriad of possibilities. Kind of uh, short but broad. Interesting. It feels like, yeah, I mean, like, because just over a couple of days, like, a space like that could change quite, you know, if there was, like, a, a time progression element within it. Mm. There's a lot of scope, I think, for things to sort of shift around. And Yeah, I think the closest thing I played to that is probably Pathologic. But right, yeah, of Pathologic course. Pathologic is nuts. Um, so, but maybe, like, a sane version of that. Yeah, yeah, like Pathologic, <laughs> but it's, like, not disturbing yeah, uh, to, yeah. your, to your health mm. Mm. <laughs> and mental state. Um I think there are some like really interesting ways to experiment with like time in games and um, even something like what's the what's that adventure game on the train the the one where I think oh um, Last Express that's it yeah yeah that's yeah it's great um, that's a, a brilliant kind of real time. Uh, where you just exist in a space and the characters move around you and kind of brush exactly. Past you and and this idea that if you're not in a certain place at a certain time, then the thing will just happen and you've missed it. Yeah, and yeah. Um, it would be really interesting to like a, a really good way of creating a system in and, and these this space where inevitably you're going to want to replay it because there are just other things, other possibilities that can happen. Yeah, I think. Uh, players are getting more and more used to replaying games as a way to get more stories. So Near Automata is a recent yes. example where it's just expected that you play it through at least three times. Um, and it feels as though if you kind of told people that this was a thing you need to replay a lot to get the full picture, I think people would. I think people would be more accepting of that now than mm. perhaps a few years ago. That's uh, yeah, it's weird, like the, there are some, Near it just sort of felt natural to go back into it, even though the second playthrough is probably the the weakest because it's mostly the first playthrough again mm. and you've got to get through those first two to get to the real sort of mm. meat of the ending yeah um, but actually maybe Tamagotchi's is better <laughs> probably more money in it yeah that's true actually yeah, if it became the branding opportunities are way better <laughs> um, uh, N. Brady Eastham asks question for the pod uh, what do you do in your free time when you're not playing video games, i.e. outside interests and hobbies? Uh, he also answers his own question with an amazing few sentences. <laughs> okay. I spend most of my time reading, which I feel is as close to uh, video gaming without looking at a screen. I also spend an inordinate amount of time holding in farts whilst, uh, the girl <laughs> whilst with the girlfriend. Sometimes I'll walk into another room and close the door just to fart on my own <laughs> for a while. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hobby. There's a list of questions about hobbies. <laughs> it's a pastime. It's an enriching pastime. It just uh, leave girlfriends because I, I need to need to go to another room for a bit. 
<laughs> to engage in one of my hobbies. It's always you're always just delaying the destruction there because, like that, the fart's not going to be in that room, and someone's going to have to go in that. That's room. That's it. Yeah. You know, you, you, how, I, I guess how, unless you've got a custom room expressly for that purpose, heavily ventilated yeah. shaft that you retreat to every few hours. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Well, video games obviously take a lot of time to play, so that's probably most of it. I like. Um, I got back into collecting Warhammer and painting little dudes recently. That's hmm. that's really relaxing feels more wholesome in some ways but it's much because again it's that lack of screens isn't it i think that's uh, i think that's it yeah as where especially if you're just working in front of screens eight hours a day you have to go home and do something quite um practical with your hands is is nice how about yourself phil um uh, yeah i i just consume all forms of media a lot of the time <laughs> yeah uh, that too yeah uh so uh music books just bad tv wrestling mm. yeah wrestling yeah. wrestling's good um yeah i need like a proper hobby that isn't isn't just entertainment being start, piped into my eyes. Start making Phil Town. Yeah, that's what I'll do. <laughs> okay, uh, and Andrew Hay, uh, question for the podcast, similar to one this past week. Uh, what movie would be good to be turned into a game? Or what movie got turned into a bad game that should have been better? Hmm. My thought is Cloud Atlas would make a great old-fashioned uh, click story Andy Kelly game. I guess he means point-and-click adventure. Yeah, I don't know why Andy <laughs> Kelly's just, responsible for that. It's called Andy Kelly Games. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Andy. Um <laughs> Would Cloud Atlas make a good point-and-click adventure? Ooh, I, no, no. I, I, it didn't make a good film. It really but... didn't. I had to get <laughs> so gl- drunk to get through that film. I'm so glad that uh, <laughs> Sam and Andy aren't here right now, because be, it would be objection after objection. Uh, but that film is a mess. Really? Do they like it? Uh, yes, they are fans of the film, the film really? experience, Cloud Atlas. Well, yes. we, need, we need to duel this out in the pub, I think. Uh, yes, clearly. For another time. That's, that's shocking. Shocking. <laughs> Hot takes right there. Oh, so messy. Yeah, that would be. I don't know how you do that as a point and click adventure. Uh. No, the thing about Cloud Atlas is that it, you know expressly uses the form of a book to yes. do interesting things with you know time, uh, and uh, it feels like uh, if you're going to pick any book, a book that is about being a book is probably the thing you don't want to <laughs> try and convert into any other medium. Of all the books you could pick, um, I would love to see Consider Phlebas by Ian M. Banks made into a film or a game, or actually a, a, any game set in the culture universe by Ian M. Banks would be fantastic. It's a really good, exciting, funny, violent, uh, and uh, interesting universe to set a, a story in. Hmm. I think um, I'm so tainted by all so many movie conversions being bad. Um, yeah. There's, it, it's amazing that there was never an amazing Matrix game. That's true, yeah. Because that film was basically a video game. <laughs> Trailer yeah, for a video really, game that never was never really made. really was, and Enter the Matrix was... Oh, I mean, it tried, bless it. I know. Possibly the problem was uh, the Matrix came out in a period when you couldn't really make a good Matrix game. Mm. I think... Uh, I That's know. true. Could you do it now? I'm sure. Isn't there, isn't there some sort of Matrix thing happening? Is there? Is it like fan projects? There's loads of fan projects going on for it. I didn't I know there was anything official. Like a, a film remake, but I might have dreamt that as like I might have gone mad. Hmm. Uh, and <laughs> I am now checking this. But yeah, I think now you could actually do uh, that fairly well. Yeah, there's literally a Matrix reboot happening. Is there? Yeah. Oh wait, no. The new Matrix film is not a remake or reboot, but there is a new Matrix film. Okay. So that's happening. So inevitably, there'll be a tie-in opportunity there. 
uh, if it went to the right developer, I guess. Yeah, for sure. You could actually make something interesting. Yeah, that's true, actually. Like, it's... You could, with a, a, you could do an open city relatively easily now. and all, But, you know, I guess Max Payne has had its day. Bullet time is done. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, bullet time is... The Matrix was so just taking yeah some some games things and making a good film out of them. It's weirdly recursive to bring it back. Mm. Um, I think uh, almost all superhero games are bad, even though the films can be good. Mm. And that um, superheroes are one of the kind of most poorly realised genre fantasies in games. Mm. There have been a few good games. City People heroes, like the good Spider Man. Yeah, Spider Man Two. When it, but when it first went open world, those games were were quite good. Uh, for the time, but so why specifically do you think it's like City of Heroes worked out that? Uh, I think it well, it wasn't weighed down by any licenses, and it mm. it kind of thrived on people being able to create their own superheroes, which is what you do when you're like 11 years old and reading comics, is that yeah. you start doodling your own superheroes, and it taps into that instinct really well. Um, it did a good job of creating a sense that you were still heroes, even though like almost everything you, was, you saw was a hero. But every time you saw a hero, it was some crazy, like, in-depth vision that someone has had, and, you know, it made other player characters really interesting. Mm. Uh, still, it didn't really, like... It, it kind of gave you archetypes, like Spider-Man-type dudes and Superman-type dudes, um, which is probably easier than actually saying you are Spider-Man. Yeah. Because everyone has their own kind of vision for what Spider-Man is, really, even though... Because there are so many comics, and you might prefer some over others, and you might prefer the films which all have their own slightly different takes on the character, so it's hard to step into that. Mm. Um, I guess we've got uh, Ados Montreal uh, going to be the next yeah. to try. Uh, very with... excited by that. I mean, again, I'm waiting for someone to do it right, and this could be it. Obviously, they're going to be throwing a lot of resources at it. Yeah, I, it's interesting that it'll be Avengers, which mm. suggests that there's going to be like multiple characters, and I mean, that's a big task, I think, because... I guess the problem with a lot of superheroes is that you do have to create the play space around their powers. Like, mm. there's, what you want from a Hulk game would be very different to what you could do with a Hammer God Boy game. Yeah, oh. and there have been a few Hulk games, and they've like been all right for. They've been quite fun for ten minutes, which is what it would be like to be the Hulk. I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. maybe they've completely accurately. No, that, that is the accurate experience. Ten minutes of just raw power and then eternal gets, sadness, and then gets quite repetitive after yeah. a while. Yeah, that's what it is like being the Hulk. <laughs> and likewise, Superman is just too powerful. Like he's he's, he's funny in games like Injustice, um, which is actually one of the few good superhero games I think, because mm. it, it doesn't have to get too in depth because it can be a silly fighter. It can uh, really indulge the sillier aspects of each character's powers, uh, especially communicated through their super moves which are absurd uh, and so being Superman in that game or beating up Superman in that game is really fun hmm. Hmm. and you can actually beat up Superman in that game you which can. is nice like, which, yeah. you, which I've always wanted to do frankly it's good, it's good. Yeah, for sure <laughs> uh, uh, okay this is uh, the last question we've got down um, by Avagad actually it's not quite the last question mm. uh, we'll get to that in a second okay. Avagad says uh, I've been playing a lot of Rocket League 1v1 recently and it's definitely one of the most stressful things I do for fun however it's not even close to my Starcraft 2 days where I found myself finishing ranked games dripping in sweat and filled with energy as the adrenaline in my body mistakenly pumped into my system thinking I was in some mad fight and <laughs> fight and fight situation slowly dissipates uh, what's the game that made you the most stressed to play uh, and are there any games you play currently that are contenders uh, good question. Compare Heroes multiplayer is always really stressful because mm. uh, that's uh, just a, a barrage of noise 
and uh, the knowledge that a tank is going to turn up within five minutes and that you need to build some anti-tank but the anti-tank keeps getting sniped and oh my god what if where's what happened to my infantry squads and I need to capture this point and, and it's, it's that but for 45 minutes one thing one strategy games really are good for this I used to be terrified of going into kind of conquer games just because mm. I was a child and very nervous <laughs> about, <laughs> about these things which is weird because they're like the, the most faceless games I mean, you're fighting a, a cluster of enemy units yeah. and there's no chat or anything but it's still somehow like it's such a test of such a, a test of your mental acuity that I guess that's it. Yeah, it feels it's quite like, personal. It's almost like an IQ test as as well as a competitive. And it's definitely it. Like you know, you're going in and you're asking, God, what if I am stupid? <laughs> yeah. Am I stupider <laughs> than this person who's wow. talked in with me? That uh, man is smarter at tanks than me. Yeah, that's something quite personal about that. I don't know why. I feel wounded when I get out tanked by a person. Uh, yeah. Um, are you, are you getting the same feeling out of uh, Dawn of War 3? Uh, no, I'm, I'm enjoying it because I've been in the open beta and I've played mm. a lot of it and no one else has. <laughs> so if you're on the kind of uh, winning side of things, which is not due to any skill on my part, but just knowing the unit's a bit better, then it feels great. Uh, but I imagine the super hardcore, uh, as we record, in fact, the game's going live. Yeah. So it's gonna the service will be filling up and I'll be getting into the actual public over the weekend. So, yeah, this weekend is your chance to sort of play it and be good if you've played the open beta before everybody learns what it is yes, and can out-orc you. I'm going to use it as a brief ego <laughs> boost and then as soon as it starts going wrong, I'll play a different game. It's like the time um, I played Titanfall against a bunch of game journalists and I was <laughs> oh, yeah. pretty good at it and thought, yeah. wow, this is the best game. I'm <laughs> so good at this. Yeah. And then I jumped in at launch week and it was like just being punched in the face repeatedly <laughs> by, by my own inadequacies. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else, anything else that I find incredibly stressful. Like Not even Rocket League, really, which I think hmm. uh, I don't play games to be stressed out yeah i think is my secret mm, it's an excellent <laughs> approach i'd say uh but some people love that uh dota is an incredibly oh, yeah. stressful time but... i could never do dota we played dota together for a feature um once uh, which listeners may remember uh we played rock paper shotgun and uh chris uh, thurston uh who's the person who's played easily in the most dota on the team and yeah. actually knows about that game was kind of uh, the general and he was that uh, he was our trainer and uh, Sam got more stressed than I think I've ever seen him uh, and he's a magazine editor who has to be stressed quite a lot yeah it's like his job is to be stressed once a month but yeah, this yeah. was I, everybody, a whole new level everybody got very stressed during that including Chris mm. uh, who who I think was angry at himself and possibly us <laughs> the only one who didn't seem to care was Andy who had decided I think a long time before we got into the match itself that Dota wasn't for him and he didn't entirely care. Yeah. Uh, he was going to make his sniper shoot things and if it went well, that was fine. And yeah. if it didn't, he still got to go home. Yeah, but for, for the rest of us... We were, the rest of us, we, we had to go and eat meats at a local restaurant to sort of calm ourselves down <laughs> from... It's the PC Gamer uh, kind of tradition, isn't it? It was oh, the was saddest I've day. ever been in Grillstock. Oh, no. <laughs> since they changed their menu. Yeah, it's gone downhill that place. Yeah, that's... Every time in there is now sad. Right, uh, the final question, speaking of lunch, uh, is from Samuel Roberts, who just asked, uh, how was monthly munches this, this, uh, this month? It was a, a weird kind of dribbly curry mm. uh, with very wet rice. To explain, Future, our, our company, uh, once a month gives us free food Yeah, uh, in the cafeteria. It's usually a little bit disappointing. Uh, today was no different. <laughs> <laughs> But thank you for the free food. I said, yeah, I skipped it, but yeah, still, thanks, Future, for the free food. It's, you also get a free drink, and I think that's the best part of the deal, is you just get a free yeah, can Yeah, I don't like thing. fizzy drinks, so I get a free oh, wow. bottle of water. 
Um, so, yes. uh, no, that's incredibly disappointing. <laughs> what a down note to end I on know. this week. <laughs> uh, yeah, a uh, slightly shorter podcast, but um, that's be- uh, I'm going to blame Andy for that, for, okay. for being too sick to talk. Uh, <laughs> yeah, how dare he be too sick? <laughs> uh, okay, uh, we'll be na- back next week uh, with talk on uh, everything, I'd imagine, which is what Andy's been playing this week. Yes. Uh, and looks really weird it looks very strange uh and uh, probably some dawn of war given that yeah. it'll be out and people will be talking about it yeah i'm really looking forward to seeing whether it takes off or not really it's for the first rts for years it's really come out yeah um, it's I, i'm going back into talking about things now but that's fine yeah. um <laughs> the it's it's been really weird seeing the community react to that yeah definitely. there seems to be a lot of people who are angry at it but i'm not entirely sure why it's because the it's it's because the word MOBA is like a cursed yes, that's, word. Yes, that seems there. like a mistake. I've seen the word MOBA bandied about a couple of times, but it's not really that. No, it's it's really, it's a, it's a mashup of RTS and, with MOBA elements. And it, it is, like we played some 3v3, yeah. and it is, it is about huge armies clashing. Yeah, like, it, was, it was mostly just an RTS, that was. Yeah, uh, and you know it helps if you can use your hero units, and the hero units are important, but it's very much an RTS as well. Like, if you don't play the RTS part of the game, you're going you, you yeah, yeah. to... The, you're going to lose. The hero units are important, but they, yeah, they do seem akin to like just having some of the bigger, uh, more expensive units in a standard RTS. I guess the power core thing, like the, mm. the general setup, does feel quite moberish. But really, that's just quite a clever endgame system because it's just okay if you're losing, that's the moment we call it, as mm. opposed to we've got to find you know your one orc yeah. who's hiding in the corner. Uh, or the oh, well done, you know, to Trollus, you've built a building in a random corner of the map yeah. that we now have to find and destroy. Cool. Uh, all of those kind of really irritating RTS things. Um, like so, in StarCraft, everyone would GG just out of kind of agreement that yeah. the game was over. Whereas this is more maybe a more um, climactic and elegant way of ending uh, games. Plus, it doesn't really feel like a Mobron, um The maps where there are like mm. uh, there's one power core, but there's like two turrets and two ways into the core, and actually they become much more conventional RTS maps. Yeah, but it's, it, I, I think it's getting a lot of stick from people who haven't played it. Right. You have a certain number, have certain vision for what it's like to actually play, um, which is a, a bit unfair. But hopefully, the open beta has kind of encouraged some people to um, mm. to do it. Also, some people have bounced off the art style uh, because, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. The other thing is, for if you're a 40k fan, you kind of associate it with being quite a grim, dark setting, right? Um, even though, like having like, paint stuff below those models, it's actually a pretty bright and colourful and silly setting often as well. Mm. Um, so, Dawn of War three has struck a kind of in between note where a lot of the animations are quite are very bouncy and uh, you know expressive. That's yeah. There's there's very much a light show element to yeah, a lot of it and really flashy particle, particle effects. Um, and I think it looks great. It looks uh, perhaps a bit too busy when you know you actually need to be import, directing important characters in the middle of a fight. It can get quite difficult, um, which is unfortunate. But I I really like the way it looks. Uh, mm. But that's that's gonna be where a lot of the backlash has come come from for it as well. It's been a weird series because it's. Um, I guess it doesn't have a strong identity in the way that mm. um, Company of Heroes does. Like Relic's other series is, mm. like, you sort of know what a Company of Heroes game is. I think to an extent, uh, even though they did some things with Company of Heroes two to check shift it up. But like Dawn of War one and Dawn of War two were very different things. Yeah, and that's pro- possibly where a lot of the kind of uh, MOBA grumps come from, was from that switch up to like having just a few tactical squads that mm. behave a bit like MOBA heroes. And again, it wasn't a MOBA, it's just it's taking a certain control set and a certain, you know, a new take on action RTS and, and trying to roll with that. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's interesting to see people who love the first game just want the first game again. 
and I'm not sure you can do that anymore when StarCraft 2 is out and when there are other uh, RTS games that are just so well established. Yeah. It feels like you've got to be doing something different if you're going to make a mark or really get a new audience. Mm, yeah, we'll it's, a, it's, a hard, it's hard to do a trad RTS, yeah, mm. un- unless you're Blizzard, it seems. Yeah. Uh, even, even EA seems to have given up with making just a basic Command and Conquer for a long while. Yeah, or even like Age of Empires. Mm. Like they did add some, like a, a kind of horrible free to play Age of Empires thing. Yeah. Like and years and years ago. Didn't really... they just go back to updating an old one instead? <laughs> yeah. It's just like, yeah. Maybe, maybe we just take one of the ones people used to like and make more of that. And it's like, yeah, all right. I <laughs> guess that makes sense. Mm. Uh, right then. Um, well, we still have a uh, magazine with Dawn of War on the cover. I think that's out for another week or so. Mm. I can't remember what else is in it because it was so long ago that we made it. Uh, <laughs> good words, that's what's in it. Yeah, yeah, some really good words about some stuff that is all PC games related. You can follow us on Twitter. The podcast is at PC Gamer Pod. Uh, Tom, if people want to follow you, how do they do that? Uh, I'm on Twitter at PCGUDO, and that's L U D O. Cool. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Octader, O C T A E D E R. Um, and we'll be back next week when hopefully uh, Sam will be back and maybe Andy will be back we'll see, Uh, thanks for listening